0: So Robert Cross here at RNHA News Radio and today we have Joseph Caldera here from New York to talk about the issues of the day. Welcome.
1: Hi Robert, thank you for having me.
0: So for our audience who may not be as familiar with you and your district in New York, can you tell us a little bit about your background and the district you're running in?
1: Certainly. So I'm running in New York 11, which is Staten Island and South.
0: Historically conservative district, really
1: within New York City uh, in modern history. Uh, the seat has been held by a Republican with only, with only just two exceptions over the past 40 years. Uh, one time back in 2008 and then again in 2018, our current congressman, Democrat, took the seat. His name is Max Rose. But other than that, it's always been a, a Republican stronghold. Uh, Staten Island and and South Brooklyn is a place that's very familiar to me. I'm born and raised on Staten Island, the South Shore, and my family is actually from South Brooklyn, both my mother and father. My father's from Gravesend, my mother's from Bensonhurst, and they moved to Staten Island once they got married. So this is a seat that the uh, Republicans have pegged as one that we really need to win back this upcoming November if we stand any chance of taking the house back. I'm confident we're going to not only take the house back, but we're going to win New York 11 as well. As far as my background is concerned, Robert, I'm a a former assistant district attorney. Like I said, born and raised on Staten Island, I went to Monsignor Farrell High School, an all-boys Catholic high school here on the island. And uh, after graduating, I went down to George Mason University, studied government and international politics. When I came back to New York, I attended Brooklyn Law School, got my law degree and started practicing law. Went over to the Brooklyn District Attorney's office, where I served as a prosecutor for these past few years, working in the Special Victims Bureau. I had a, an opportunity to help uh, many women and children during my time there. Specifically, uh, the children was it was quite rewarding, being able to interview children who've been victims of crimes and, and being able to make a difference in their life. It was probably one of the most rewarding things that I'll ever do. And then uh, now, I come to find out, these uh, about. Six, seven months ago, I uh, was speaking to a few political friends who were in the know here on Staten Island, and I was interested in finding out who was going to be our Republican nominee for Congress to go up against Max Rose. And uh, when I found out that there was only one opponent uh, who had proposed that we're going to go up against max at that point i realized that we needed somebody who was a a true conservative a true conservative republican and uh, that's why i decided ultimately to leave my job at the district attorney's office this past october and uh, hop into this race hop into this primary battle so that the voters on staten island and south brooklyn could have a choice as to who they want to go up against max do they want someone who is very conservative or someone who's not so very conservative
0: That is interesting. So you have worked a lot with uh, special victims and especially in in the terms of education, we're hearing a lot of things about people with special needs. Maybe we could talk a bit about autism and disability and how that relates to some of the work that you did in District 11.
1: Yes, certainly. So I've been, uh, I've been involved in my community for a long time, Robert. Throughout high school, like I said, I'd gone to Monsignor Farrell. Um, and three to four days a week, I'd worked for my local city councilman's office, Councilman Vincent Ignizio on the South Shore. And uh, that's when I really got the, the bug for public service. And at, it was at that point that I, I really um, saw how many uh, issues we had on Staten Island for people with disabilities. And in addition to working for the city council, I also uh, have three cousins who are autistic, three first cousins. So, growing up in Staten Island, you know, my whole family lives close together. We all live with about three or four miles of each other. And uh, I, I've watched how much my family has struggled to get my cousins the services that they need on Staten Island, the services to help them. And in addition to my cousins, the people in the community, who struggle the most and and oftentimes don't see the help and the assistance that they deserve are people in the autistic and and disability community. And what we're finding now, Robert, is that there's so many people within the district who have disabilities that there's a backlog of attorneys, state-provided legal representation to get to these kids in order to get them the services that they need. So unfortunately, you have autistic children and their families waiting two, two and a half, sometimes even as years, to be able to retain a city appointed attorney to help get them the services they need and help get them into the proper schools that they need. It's absurd that we have children from Staten Island who need to commute sometimes as long as an hour into Queens or into the Bronx to go to a school where they're able to get the services that uh they they deserve and instead we need funding in our district to provide additional funding to the schools on Staten Island and in South Brooklyn and we need funding to get these children the attorneys that they need to make sure that they get the services here on Staten Island they get put into these schools on Staten Island and in Brooklyn rather than having to take that long trek into Queens or into the Bronx so it's really an issue and additionally you know we have some of the highest rates of autism in the entire United States of America, here on Staten Island. And it's something that I feel has gone really unaddressed over, over these past 10 or so years since we first realized uh, what a high rate of autism it is in fact that we have. You know, I believe that it's important we do a federal study. We get some money and, and try and study and determine why the heck our rate of autism is so much higher here than anywhere else in the country. Is it something in the water? Is it something in the food that we're eating? Is something environmental? Does it have to do with the fact that we had the country's largest landfill here on Staten Island for, for so many years? The bottom line is it's gone unaddressed, and it's time to address the issue.
0: I would agree. But let's, let's go back a moment just to, <clears throat> to clarify one point. You're talking about uh, specific services, Yes. That disabled people would need. Could you give us some examples of what those services are?
1: Yes, certainly. So, so first off, you know, these children um, who do have autism disabilities within the district, they need to have teachers and they need to have uh, small classrooms with a particular curriculum to help them. And the city is underfunded in those specific instances. Uh, additionally, we don't have enough schools that help children with autism. So we don't have enough publicly funded schools on Staten Island or in Brooklyn to uh, provide these children with the adequate services that they need. So specifically, we're talking about education, we're talking about therapy, we're talking about paras, people who are going to be with the students throughout the course of the day, people who are going to help the children with therapy After school, you know, uh, for people with disabilities, oftentimes people with autism, their school day shouldn't end uh, just at two or or three o'clock. They need services, early intervention and, and early intervention therapy from a very young age. And it's very difficult for a lot of families to obtain these services. And it's even more difficult for these families to be able to afford an attorney who can help them obtain those services.
0: Thank you for helping clarify that for us. I know um, myself, I'm in education, so I'm aware of some of the things that autistic people struggle with, but for the majority of our audience, they're not. I just wanted to sort of clear that up. So let's continue to talk a little more about The struggles in staten island we've just got done talking sort of about autism and the struggles of disabled people what about um how the coronavirus is affecting the city sure so we
1: had um, as of last week the highest rate of the coronavirus within the whole city of new york here on Staten Island, it seems like Staten Island always gets the short end of the stick. We always get hit the hardest, no matter what the crisis.
0: And how has uh, the coronavirus affected the economy and the livelihoods of people on Staten Island?
1: Uh, I'm talking to people every day, Robert, who are calling me up and, and saying, "You know, is there anything you could do to, to help me? Do you know when this is going to end? When is the?" government going to end this shutdown. speaking to people from, from all over. Yesterday I spoke to a lady who owns a, uh, a company that makes uniforms for uh, dance studios on Staten Island. She was saying, you know, our, our business has been closed now for over four weeks. This is the heart of uh, dance season, for all of the recitals and, and for all of the performances that go on. This is usually our time of the year that we make the most money. And to be shut down for these past four weeks. It, it's absolutely crippling. What are we going to do? When is the government going to reopen? And so many, every single one of us is affected, but so many businesses on Staten Island, so many mom and pop stores, uh, so many diners and, and restaurants that have had to close down. You know, on Staten Island, we've got a lot of great diners. Most of them that, that I've seen, particularly on the South Shore, they try for a week or two and then they had to shut down. They tried to stay open meaning that they tried to at least provide delivery service and takeout service but a diner, so much of their business is, is sit down eating within the restaurant that they couldn't sustain it. So there are a lot of people who are hurting now and a lot of families who are hoping that they're going to be able to open up
0: real soon. A few weeks back I should say probably about now a week back. Nancy Pelosi and her gang uh, basically obstructed the Republicans from funding the, you know, the Pay Protection Program that would have offered businesses like this a way to, you know, keep up their payroll and offer them assistance in this time. How badly did that hurt? The people at Staten Island
1: well, tre- tremendously, because you have so many of these places, so many of these restaurants and, and small businesses that that need to be me- making uh, having money come in you know constantly, and Nancy Pelosi playing politics as usual, uh, Nancy Pelosi, who back two months ago was in Chinatown, telling people here in in New York and across the country, oh, come to chinatown don 't worry it 's safe, come into Chinatown come and she 's really so removed from. Uh, just just society. She's so out of touch and everything with her is, is politics. So that particular decision of hers, that particular the people of the district, I mean, that really hurt people across the country. I don't understand how these businesses are going to come back to life. If we open up a month from now, or two months from now, three months from now, I don't know how these businesses are going to, to make up for these these lost earnings. Shudder and then what? Now, I understand, look, we're in a tough situation here. I'm not recommending that the, uh, the, the government and the reopen business tomorrow, but we have to have a plan. I, I was originally all for the government shutting down businesses for a week or for two weeks in hopes of coming up with some sort of a plan of what we were going to do next. But right now, it looks like there is no plan for reopening. And that's not placing the blame on anyone in particular, Republicans, Democrats, state, city, federal. uh, I'm not trying to blame anyone, but as a whole, what has our society decided to do? Just shutting down indefinitely, I don't think is, is is a real plan of action. But again, we're in a tough situation. We don't know how many deaths there are going to be from this coronavirus. We don't know how long this is going to last. We have to act prudently. We have to make decisions carefully because people's lives are at risk and and make no mistake about it, Robert, we're at war. We're at war with this virus. We're at war with an unseen enemy and and we don't know when this will be over and when life is going to get back to normal.
0: I really think that's what makes what Pelosi and Schumer and uh, the Democrats have been doing during the crisis all the more despicable because if you think about it Pelosi originally obstructed the stimulus checks for yeah. abortion funding then she armed strung the Republicans into funding a whole bunch of programs yeah. that didn't even um I think I was reading in one uh, article something like 300 million for the endowments of the humanities and arts And if you just took all the pork out of the (laughs) stimulus bill, each person in the United States probably would have been able to receive something like $5,000 to help them through the crisis. It's
1: it's pathetic. And that's what it is. That's pathetic. That's what Nancy Pelosi and the left is concerned about, government-funded abortions during a, a time of need and a time of crisis like this. Rather than help people, they're concerned with funding abortions. It's, it's the same old nonsense. Never any solutions, just always trying to play politics and, and trying to push their agenda, their radical agenda forward. This party, this Democratic Party has gone so far left over these past few years. I don't know if they're going to win a, a national election any time in, in the Upcoming future, I have to tell you the truth, Robert. You know, back a few years ago, uh, before Donald Trump, uh, people were saying that the Republican Party w- was on its way out, that they were out of touch with the American out of touch with the values of the American people. Now I think what we're seeing is that if any party is going down the tubes, it's the Democratic Party. You know, back uh, in the 1960s, we actually had a split of the Democratic Party, right? The Democrats and the Dixiecrats, they, they broke into two because they were so misaligned with each other. There were, there were factions within the party that were so misaligned and, and couldn't agree on, on much of anything. I think we're going to see something similar happen the Democratic Party, because you have a, a left wing that is so out of touch with the, with the moderates and the base of the Democratic Party. I don't see how they sustain themselves, and I'm kind of shocked, too, that Nancy Pelosi has been able to maintain power for this long. I think uh, we're, we're going to see... Some very uh, big changes within the Democratic Party within these next few years.
0: I think we're in the process, like you said, of looking at party realignment. And I honestly think that voters that were traditionally Democrat, that are what you might call Kennedy Democrats, Yes. I think they're all going to leave the Democratic Party. I don't know if they're going to go straight into the Republican Party, but they're going to leave the Democratic Party because their values no longer align and i really do see what you're saying like the democratic party went from being sort of socialist but they were moderate and they have gone full on radical left ideologies
1: yeah full full on and it's just so uh it's so out of touch with the mainstream american working class people, you know, regular everyday Americans don't care about paper straws. They care about paychecks. They care about being able to raise a family. They care about things that matter, things that are important. If you you read the newspapers and and you watch CNN and MSNBC, uh, they make you think that the the Democrats and the entire Democratic Party is concerned with all of these issues that, that don't Really matter having three different types of bathrooms and, and, like I said, again, paper straws. Right there is a faction of that party that does believe that for sure, but it's not the mainstream, it's not the core of the Democratic Party. And I don't see how they sustain with, the, with those types of uh messages. You know, I don't see any solutions ever proposed. Uh, being anti Donald Trump, fighting Donald Trump, you know, at all costs back in 2016. That wasn't a winning message. So why should it be a winning message now in in 2020? And we see that for most of the primary field, it wasn't, uh, there weren't too many uh, contenders who made it even close to the end. Uh, Joe Biden walked away with this pretty easily. And and now Joe Biden, what's his message, right? What is he going to do for the American people? When Donald Trump ran in 2016, he had a clearly defined message. Make America great again. Make America respected again. He was going to bring jobs back. He was going to restore conservative principles. He was going to, to protect the sanctity of life and family values. He stood for something. He stands for something. What does Joe Biden really stand for, other than the fact that he's the opposite of Donald Trump. And that's not going to win him the election. And that's not going to win Democrats around the country, their local elections either, because people want plans, people want ideas, people want honest politicians who are going to look them in their eye and tell them what they're going to do to make their lives better. And we just don't get that anymore from the Democratic Party. Right. we talk about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I mean, she is the the poster child right now for for the Democrats, specifically here in New York. But she's a a national figure and and she's a dynamic candidate. Right. She's beloved by a lot of people, but she's energetic and she's enthusiastic. and, And she's going to be around likely for a long time. But her policies, what is she going to do? What does she actually believe in? What is her agenda? I mean, yeah, she speaks uh, in, in, you know, she talks about the the issues on a a grand scale, but when it comes to what policy initiatives that she can actually try and achieve while she's in Congress, she doesn't have any. She wants to pick petty arguments and she wants to fight the man and fight the, the Republican agenda at all costs and fight Donald Trump. But when push comes to shove, people are concerned about money in their pockets and food on their table, and we don't get any answers and any solutions from the Democrats anymore. Any solutions they provide are knee-jerk and reactionary. They're not well thought out. They're just knee-jerk responses to President Trump and, and the Republicans, and it's not even about what's being said anymore for the Democrats, Robert. It's about who is saying it. If the Republicans propose an idea, if Donald Trump proposes an idea, they don't really listen. They're just worried about who's saying it. And if Trump says it, it's no good. And that's not a winning message.
0: You know, it's not a winning message. It's not really a message. The message they've sent the American people through their actions is, I don't care how much you're suffering. I don't care about the pandemic. I don't care about jobs. If it helps Donald Trump get elected, we're not going to do it. It's not about the American people. It's about the Democratic Party. And I think when you look at this, this, this attitude, it really shows. Like, they have shown us during the crisis where their values lie. And it's not with us, the American people. They don't put a high value on us. They put a high value on their pet projects. That's for sure. Let's shift gears and talk about immigration. I'm always hearing the Democrats talk about how New York is a state that with open arms for immigrants. And you are from New York in Staten Island. Can you tell us what New Yorkers want from immigration reform?
1: Robert, we're New Yorkers. We love immigration. Immigrants make up our city. They have a city that's more immigrant-friendly than New York. It's part of our culture. It's part of our identity. My family immigrated from Italy back in the 18 and 1900s. My, My grandfather came to Italy in the 1950s. And from Italy to the United States in the 1950s. And, you know, it's part of who we are. We are open-minded people here in New York. But that does not mean that we should just disregard the rule of law. As a former prosecutor, Robert, I can speak to firsthand the amount of crimes that are committed illegal aliens. Now, let me be clear. That doesn't mean that every person who is here illegally is looking to commit a crime or looking to hurt someone. That's not what I'm saying at all. There are many people who are here illegally, who who are here for the right reasons, and who do try to live law-abiding lives while they are here. But there's a very substantial portion of people who are here illegally, who do commit crimes, and who are not held accountable. And and it's completely unacceptable for anyone in this city to have a crime committed against them by anyone. But can you imagine someone who's here illegally, who commits a crime against a United States citizen, and that person, that undocumented illegal immigrant, is then given favor and given privilege by a local district attorney, where they offer them something like an immigration friendly plea, meaning that they're not held to the same standard as every American citizen would be if they committed a crime. No, they're held to a lesser standard, and they're treated with privilege, and they're charged with a crime that A, is lesser, or B, one that doesn't even exist on the books, so that federal law and federal authorities don't interfere deport that person so what we're doing now within New York City is we are actively and purposefully circumventing federal law and harboring illegal immigrants who are committing crimes on our streets and all sorts of crimes not just victimless crimes talking about sex crimes talking about crimes against children crimes of violence and I can tell you, New Yorkers want reasonable immigration policies as accepting and as open-minded and as as warm and welcoming as we are. We don't want people taking advantage of us. We don't want to have to worry about crime being increased on our streets because people are here illegally And, and people need to be held accountable for their actions. Uh, Americans and and New Yorkers, just like anybody else, doesn't like it when somebody is held to a different standard than they are, especially someone who is not in this country legally. And and we want to, as as Republicans, right, talking about immigration now for the past four years, nobody thought that was going to be an issue in the 2016 election. And Donald Trump defined that race by bringing up Immigration and immigration reform. And what he's talking about is common sense. He talks about common sense solutions. He doesn't speak about anything radical or anything extreme. He wants to enforce the laws that are on the books. And it's, it's disenchanting to me that immediately people have to play the, the, say that you're a racist if you support Donald Trump or you support his immigration policies. I speak to immigrants all the time. A large portion of my district are immigrants from Mexico, from South America, from Italy, from Russia, Eastern Europe. And they came here legally. And, and we talk about the issues. They say, I had to spend five, six, seven, eight years waiting to get approved to come into this country. Why should people just be able to to cross the border or come here and not be held accountable? And And sadly, you know, we see uh, Republicans, too, who, who flip-flop and waver on this issue of immigration. In particular, I think of my primary opponent who, when was running for mayor of New York City, went against Trump's immigration plan, went against the border wall. How do you go out, out of fear, I imagine, of being labeled a racist? How do you go against such common sense, basic policies? Things that we're trying to implement, that we should be trying to implement as a country that would be common sense reforms to keep all of us safe.
0: I honestly don't know what people are thinking, especially when they listen to this rhetoric from the mainstream media and the Democrats. China has a wall. Like, China has the largest wall in the world. You're not yep. going to find a bigger border wall than the Great Wall of China. That's for sure. The Pope has a wall. It's common sense, Look, the
1: wall isn't a solution to all of our immigration woes. It's not going to keep everybody out. It's not going to end all illegal immigration. Nobody's saying that, but it's an important first step. It's an important first step, and, and the president needs all of the funding and, and all of the, the, the money he can get to go towards that wall uh, to be able to, begin to to stop illegal immigration at its source i
0: honestly think people misunderstand the purpose of the wall the purpose of the wall isn't just to stop illegal immigration it's actually to funnel and force traffickers into specific (laughs) areas Mm -hmm. where they can be apprehended absolutely And a lot of times, you know, especially with uh, a lot of the celebrities in New York and Hollywood, they relate this to the war on drugs. Mm -hmm. But you've worked with special victims and you have worked in law a long time, so you probably know better than most, this isn't really about drugs as much as it is about human trafficking.
1: Yeah, within the Special Victims Bureau at the district attorney's office was the uh, human trafficking unit. So I I didn't work on any human trafficking cases while I was at the office because I was not in that unit. But uh, I know all the prosecutors who did. And uh, we know what what an unfortunate and and terrible, terrible, terrible tragedy this is that's going on in, in modern society. It's unbelievable. President Trump has done a great human trafficking task force to task forces, to actually go after and, and tackle this issue. And, and we've seen some serious reforms. But we have thousands and thousands of, of young people who are being trafficked uh, throughout the world each and every single year. And so many of them, Robert, are here right in our city, right in New York and, and within our state and upstate New York, Long Island. You have people who are being trafficked, and a lot of them do come in from, from our southern border. Not all of them, but a lot of them certainly do. They're smuggled in from from the Mexico border. So we're talking about people's lives here. But as usual, the Democrats want to make it a political issue, and they find strength in claiming that all Republicans are racist, and if you support Donald Trump, you're a racist. It's it's juvenile. It's immature. It's amateur. And they're able to, unfortunately, stimulate a, a portion of their base With these tactics, and they see that it works, so that's what they stick with. And and they've been claiming for how many years now that Republicans are racist? Give
0: me a break. Give me a break. But you know, it's because their ideas cannot stand without it. uh, They've created a a system or narrative where everyone's either racist or xenophobic or whatever if they don't agree with them. Yes. Because they know their ideas have no merits in and of themselves.
1: Emotional arguments, right? Everything is about emotion. Their ideas have no weight.
0: So now that we've talked a little bit about the Democrats, COVID-19, and sort of what New Yorkers want from immigration, let's talk about what your first 100 days in office will look like. Sure. So
1: when I get down to Washington, you know, I've got this primary coming up in June, and then I'm going up against Max Rose, Democrat, in November. And uh, hopefully I'll be inaugurated this upcoming January. And when I get down there, I'm looking to hit the ground running. I, uh, I, I really want to focus on a lot of the issues that we've already spoken about. And I, I want to focus on things that my constituents care about and, and things that I can actually fix as a congressman. You know, oftentimes specifically within my district, you have politicians running at the federal level who want to talk about every issue under the sun. Right? They want to talk about uh, red light cameras and speed cameras and potholes and they're going to be the the congressman, the congressperson who's going to tackle that issue for the district. They We have to be realistic about what a congressman is actually able to do. And I've always been very honest with the people within my district, telling them what my limitations are and what I'm going to be able to do for them when elected. And the things that I want to focus on are a lot of the things that we've already discussed. Right, I'm going to be able to pass and propose legislation in Washington that's going to help us with very particular issues here within the district. Uh, first and foremost, I think within the first 100 days, it's essential that we begin to give the federal government teeth to enforce federal immigration law here in New York, and as I've discussed earlier, oftentimes we have very progressive district attorneys and these very progressive liberal judges within the state, but more specifically within the city, within our district, federal law, every chance they get when it comes to harboring illegal immigrants who are committing crimes. Now, in the United States of America, federal law usurps state law. So if there's a federal law on the books, that law supersedes whatever state law there is. In particular, when it comes to immigration, you cannot as a state or as a state actor purposely choose to circumvent federal law. And the problem that we have now is that the federal government has no way of enforcing the states to comply. So we need to pass legislation that would give the federal government enforcement powers and, and and teeth, so again, to use that expression, teeth, to, to bite back against the states and say, no, you cannot harbor illegal immigrants in violation of federal law. If you do so, there will be repercussions. There will be sanctions against you. The federal government will take action and, and prosecute these particular defendants personally. And that's something that I hope to do, to draft legislation from using my experience as a prosecutor using my experience of seeing firsthand what is going on and come up with some solution to give the federal government enforcement powers over these states and the state laws that are and the state actors who are just disobeying federal law every chance they get and then secondly right we have to tackle this autism problem on staten island so i want to secure funding as quickly as possible to do that federal study that i was speaking to you about because We've already waited too long, and it's important that we get the resources we need to handle that issue uh, as soon as possible. That would be my focus the first 100 days, in addition to getting to know my way around the Capitol building and uh, and making some friends. You know, I actually interned on Capitol Hill back, uh, I guess, oh, God, about 10, 11 years ago now. I had interned for my congressman. So I uh, I know where the bathrooms are.
0: (laughs) Well, you already have AOC Beat.
1: Yes, I do. I know where the bathrooms are.
0: Uh, We are approaching sort of the end of our show. Um, Could you take a few minutes and tell people where they can find you and how they can support your campaign as you move forward?
1: I'd love to. So my website is www.joecal.nyc. That's J-O-E-C-A-L dot N-Y-C. You can also go to joecal.com, J-O-E-C-A-L-D-A-R-E-R-A dot com. It will bring you to the same website. Um, Additionally, if you can make a donation to my campaign, it would be greatly appreciated. Look, I'm up against the establishment here. My primary opponent has been supported by Walker before I ever jumped into this race. And and I need all the money that I can get. I don't have... Big power brokers behind me. I need individual donors to come out and and to support me and to support my cause of bringing conservative values back to Washington, D.C. And first, putting a true conservative up against Democrat Max Rose this November. So you can donate on my website. At joepal.nyc. there's a donation link, there's a donation portal right there on the site. Whatever you can give, you give me $10, $20, $100, it's all uh, greatly appreciated. Uh, additionally, we, we have another website, www.whoisnicole.com, W-H-O-I-S-N-I-C-O-L-E.com. they will give you some information on my primary opponent and her positions and, and how the two of us Actually, differ.
0: Well, that is our show. Uh, thank you for coming on, Joey, and have a great day.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Robert. It was
0: a pleasure.